thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest has worn several awesome hats in her life. You may know her from the days as an entertainment reporter and VJ for MTV, or you may recognize her voice from her time on Today FM as a breakfast show presenter. Or you may have even seen her speak live around the traps at one of her many sought-after keynote presentations. These days, she's gone down a new healthier tangent and is even now the owner of a couple of F45 gyms, which we'll ask her about. But there's more to this person than meets the eye. Her most recent achievement, a book with the title The Social Rebellion, takes you through her struggle with alcohol and her endeavours to change her relationship with drinking. No mean feat when you think about the industry that she's worked in. Oh my God. Whether you party hard or you just need some help with freeing yourself from that wine on the couch every night habit, this woman has plenty of wisdom to share. So please welcome to the show the multi-talented, multi-passionate Maz Compton. Galloway, thank you for such a lovely introduction. Thanks. (laughs) I love doing the introductions. They're always so much fun. It makes me sound like I've either lived 10 lives or I'm really old. (laughs) I know, right? I know. I think we'll go with option A, huh? Yeah, I'll tick option A for that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's have a chat about some of these 10 lifetimes then. And I guess we should start with the entertainment industry stuff. So tell me how that all came about and the pressures on you to party hard back then. Yeah, so I, when I was really young, Jules, I wanted to be on MTV. It was just the thing that I came up with that I wanted to do and that was really insane at the time because MTV didn't actually exist in Australia. Um, so I've always been a bit of a go-getter and a bit of a dreamer from a young age um, and I kind of went on this pursuit, like this relentless pursuit over the, the following years that really kind of, I guess, drove my path to a place where I actually ended up auditioning to be on MTV and I got a job on MTV. With no TV experience, I had no idea really what an audition even was. I just knew that I wanted to do this thing. And so it's really interesting when you get your dream job. It's a really funny moment because I I remember when they offered me the job and I was so confused. I was like, but I have a job. (laughs) They were like, yeah, we know we want you to quit your job where you're working at a radio station as a producer and come and, you know, host TRL in Australia, Total Request Live, which will launch with you. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And I got into my car and I burst out crying because I was like, oh, man, like I did it. And then... I know it's really yeah and then and then you go well now what do I do I'm only 24 like you know (laughs) I've got hopefully I'm going to live till at least 40 this is what Uh, I'm thinking at that time you know and you've peaked already mate you've peaked that's it 24 it's like oh my goodness so MTV was truly a, a magical magical ride and I got to fly around the world and meet celebrities and go to parties and it was just great. And I lived large and I did a great job. And 
I think I probably became dependent on alcohol during those years without realizing. And I can only say this stuff now because I'm so far removed from the environment of toxicity that I was um, not just in, like almost trapped by to some degree because I take responsibility for all my own decisions. But when you have to host a party with Kelly Rowland, you're not not having champagne. You know, like when when these big, exciting opportunities would come my way daily, on a daily basis, I was meeting my favourite actresses and hanging out with celebrities and and I had to host events until midnight and so you'd stay until one because then you're pepped up on adrenaline and, you know, the only way to wind down is to come home and have a glass or two or three of wine. And I think the way that I managed to cope with this high pressure but very, very exciting life which sends your adrenaline through the roof, you've got to recalibrate it at some point. So you do go equally as low. So I think the way that I try to maintain is to take the edge off with that glass of wine. I think that's where, for me, alcohol started to creep into my life. But alcohol aside, had the greatest time at MTV. And then after five years of doing that, I really came to a place, Jules, where I thought, hmm, I reckon I've done everything I needed to achieve here. I think I've met everyone I needed to meet. I've hosted every kind of thing I needed to. I've done every red carpet. I've won every award. I've done my dash. So then I started dreaming up the next thing because I had created this pattern in my life of just, you know, create thinking up amazing dreams and job opportunities and then nailing them. That had become my thing. So <laughs> the next thing I thought was, huh, I'd really like to host Breakfast Radio. And so I... Um, I got, I left MTV and I started working um, in, on a night radio show. The timing just worked out really well. So I then went from being on camera to on the air and then I spent the next, oh gosh, many years, <laughs> close to maybe seven years in radio, doing different radio shows and hosting different radio shows until I ended up on the Sydney Breakfast Show, which was what I had said when I left MTV. So I was two from two as far as dream careers and dream jobs. But with that came again this level of um, environment that you can't escape. It's like this thing that you have to do. You've got to show up. You've got to go to the event and the party and the red carpet. And I think that the number one way that most people cope with stuff in their life involving pressure and stress whether it's good or bad, you would know this, your body responds to stress one way, whether it's a good stress or a bad stress. That's why overtraining at the, the gym can have a negative effect on your body because, you know, stress is I'm going to get eaten by a lion. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so yep. <laughs> there's no lions at the gym, but if you're putting stress on your body, your body reacts the same way because our bodies haven't evolved as our you know, gym memberships have. Yep. So I think that was my way take the edge off, have the glass of wine and feel relaxed was my way of coping with high pressure, high success, so much fun because you've got to come down on the other side of that hill every day. You know, so big, big highs, super low lows. So the way I think to maintain is to just numb, numb it, block it out, stick your head in the sand. Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to dig into, you know, how you said when you were 24, this kind of all kicked off, but it sounds like 
the alcohol use just kind of crept in and crept in. And at 24, like most people would just say, and I'm just being devil's advocate here, but most people would just say, isn't that normal? For yeah, totally. And isn't it's, it a rite of passage to just go out drinking all the time? It is. And then it's also very dangerous. And I know that now. So yes, 24, you go out on the weekends, you kick on with your friends, you have, you know, a boozy night here and there. But that, that's your time with your friends that you're choosing to spend that time how you decide to spend it. Where it became blurred for me is it was my job. So it wasn't just a Saturday afternoon because my friend had a birthday party. It was a Tuesday night sales event that I, it was mandatory that I was there. Or it was a launch party or a ratings party or a long lunch with the boss or a client. Or, so it wasn't, it wasn't just my choice. It was my choice to consume alcohol, yes. But the level at which I was in the environment to choose it was highly abnormal for a 24-year-old. Yeah. And so that's where I think had I had known that alcohol is the most addictive substance on earth, I probably would have calmed down a bit sooner. <laughs> because <laughs> what, what I didn't realise at the time is that I was building into the pleasure centre in my brain this habit. And so what happens when it forms as a habit, which is take the edge off, relax, high pressure, high stress, I know I'm going to hit that low, I'm just going to numb it all out. What happens when that becomes a habit is then it just is subconscious. So then you're just on autopilot. So it's, it's all, it became automatic to walk into a room and grab a champagne. And then if somebody asked to top my wine up at lunch, I would never say no. It's like, it's rude to say no. Yes, you can top my wine up. And so I, it, it became this habitual thing that then ended up getting this grip on me that became quite scary actually after 10 years of living in that in those environments and having those behaviors. Yeah. I've got a friend who does neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, and she would probably say that it was an anchor because yes. like you have the drink and then you feel relaxed, like it takes you to a place in your brain. And anchors like that are so dangerous, aren't they? So dangerous. And um, what I love now, Jules, is that there's so much research coming out about our brains and how we can change the neural pathways in them. And there are things that you can do to actually prevent yourself from having a negative anchor or at least being aware enough because the education is there to go, oh, let's find a positive. I don't think anchors are bad. It's just what you choose. And I say to people, because one, um, one of the interesting, well, one of the tricky questions I get asked quite a lot, because I haven't had a drink for three and a half years now, is people say, so did you have a problem? And I'm like, well, it depends on your definition of problem, really, because I didn't think I had a problem. I was great. I was having a great time. I was having the best time every night of the week. Um, and I don't think that alcohol was my problem. It was my relationship with it. And now I've managed to redefine my relationship with it. I could probably go and have one glass of wine on a Friday night and be totally cool about it 
because that's an empowered choice that I'm okay with. But where it came a bit unstuck for me was the subconscious behavior where, or the unconscious behavior where just on autopilot, walk into your room, grab a champagne, four drinks later, feeling a bit lightheaded. And that I think for me, I've only learned all those things now because I'm so self-aware and I had no level of self-awareness or connectedness to myself at the time. My connectedness was reaching for that bottle to give me the anchor, but now I all have it within myself. Yeah. Looking back at your 24-year-old, 25-year-old self, did you actually need the alcohol in order to fit in and get work? Like if you'd refused to drink back then, do you think it would have affected your career? Mm, That's a really tricky question to answer. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe not. But maybe, and I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure, and I only can't tell you that because that wasn't my experience because I didn't have the empowerment at the time to say no. I just went with whatever the least frustrating for everybody else option was going to be. Mm. <laughs> and that's, for many reasons, it's overpowering, overpowering bosses. It's fear of not fitting in where is my next promotion going to come from if I don't fit in? There's also a sense of if I don't go out and have a wild time, what am I going to talk about on the radio on Monday? Um, <laughs> but, I mean... It's true. That's, that's, laugh, that's legitimate it, it's legit. yeah, reason. Yep. It, it kind of, they're, they're, and whether that expectation was um, self-imposed, which 90% of it probably was, there was this underlying, like I've said, you know, it wasn't written in my contract. One must go out and get wasted in order to discuss, you know, enjoyable weekend on Monday's show. But <laughs> there was this underlying tone and, um, and when, you know, we had this great team and we, we all went out and drank all the time and it was really harmless and really innocent and no one got hurt and nothing super, super crazy happened. And so there were no real red, like giant red flags. There was no rock bottom. There was no losing my job driving home drunk and killing someone. There was none of this stuff that we see in the movies that we go, oh, that, that is what alcohol dependency looks like. Mm. It, it, you know, I was this high-functioning, extremely successful, very charismatic young woman, and yet internally I was unravelling into a mess. Now, that is not your classic alcohol dependency story, but I think there are a lot of them out there. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to share my journey is to to let everyone that might be feeling like that know that it's okay and that there is a solution and you don't have to label yourself an alcoholic you don't have to um carry that shame anymore like you can learn to empower yourself to make better decisions and that's really what it is all about is making a different choice yeah because once you label yourself an alcoholic there's a lot that goes along with that isn't there There is. And look, I don't have an opinion on whether that's a good or a bad thing. I think for some people that absolutely is necessary and works. I've had um, a really close friend of mine um, go through and is still with the AA program and it was, it works for him. And the thing with when you go to AA, you identify as alcoholic and you admit that you're powerless under a disease. That didn't resonate with me. I was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just drinking a bit too much. 
and I'm not really sure how to stop. So it, for me, it didn't, didn't tick all the boxes. I was like, huh, I really, I don't identify with that or as that. So what am I? Like, how do I figure out what I am? And I think if we had to label it, I had developed a dependency on alcohol, absolutely. And then I was able to turn it around with, you know, I guess without, um, I guess without um, telling everyone or, you know, or going to a meeting or not that there's anything wrong with that. That just wasn't the path that led me to my sobriety. Yeah. I think it's different for women as well. I've, I've interviewed a, an amazing human by the name of Bex Weller before and I think she was in a similar situation to you in that yeah. she didn't identify with being an alcoholic but she also needed the booze to, to you know, go to social situations and feel comfortable. And it, you, you know, as a female, like you, you know what alcoholics look like and you've got this really negative idea of, of, you know, they're usually male, they're usually stumbling around, some of them will end up instigating domestic violence or, you know, a lot of them will drive drunk and get in trouble for that. They'll get caught or they'll crash their car and you can see that slippery slope for those people. They'll get into fights, there's violence, there's accidents. But if you're not up that end of the spectrum, there's almost a well, where do I sit? Like, maybe I don't have a problem. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's in my head. Maybe I just need to not drink so much next time I go out. And and it's not black and white, you know. Yeah. Like, there's that. There's a giant. I call it the. You know, it's a big grey area. Grey area drinking. So, on that scale that you you kind of alluded to, Jules. Like at one end, yeah, you've got the definition of alcoholic and alcoholism, and people who identify as that, as that. And at the other end, you've got teetotalers who don't drink at all, like myself. And between those two massive extremes, you've got 95% of adults. Now, where you sit on that scale could be one small, tiny nudge away from either end. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a terrible person, um, but it means that you could be really close to the end of the scale that you don't want to be at. But you're, it's really hard to identify unless I guess we have these markers and these um, levels of dependency that people can identify as or with. And the other thing is because I know for myself I hid my drinking a lot. So the shame attached to it was massive where I would sometimes have a couple of drinks before I went out. And I realise now um, people assume that I'm an extrovert because... I've got this, you know, great bubbly personality and I've got a very contagious laugh and really funny. And so people just assume I'm an extrovert, but I'm actually an introvert. And so <laughs> just I, a really confident introvert. <laughs> I'm a very confident person, but I, well, the way that I've been, the way that I have been taught that introverts and extroverts work on one level, it's how you refuel um, yourself. And so I refuel by myself. So I need me time, maz time, alone time, away time. I need long walks on beaches and lots of nature to fill up my soul to be good for everyone else and then everyone drains me until I'm running at zero capacity again. And so I, because of this introverted side of me, I had a bit of social anxiety, yet my entire life was being a social being. So I wasn't a social butterfly 
I just had to be. And so that caused actually a lot of internal turmoil for me. And I didn't realize it at the time. So again, drinking became this coping mechanism, like take the edge off, have a drink before you go out so at least you're a bit relaxed and then you know the the conversation's a bit more fluid and you don't have you know you're not so self-conscious about your hair because you're trying something out today all that stuff um I only realize now what was going on and I so for me it was like there were several areas in my life where I was using alcohol to cope slash survive and I think they it all just got too much by 2014 I I was like I don't want to drink anymore and I don't know how to do that now that's an issue let's try and figure out the solution (laughs) so what led up to that moment in 2014 was there an event or was there something that that made you sit up and go I, you know, I don't want to call it a rock bottom moment because that's, that's got its own connotations, but was there a catalyst where you went, hang on? It it definitely wasn't rock bottom, very, very far from rock bottom. In 2014, I was hosting the National Drive Show, which was one of the dream jobs that I dreamt up. Um, I was earning more money than I thought small countries (laughs) had. Like in, in my context of money, I didn't grow up with money. So I, for me, it was like, holy moly, this is just bananas that this company is paying me this money to get on air and have the best time every day. Like it was amazing. My face was on billboards around the country. I was flying every two weeks interstate to host events. And so on paper, very, very far from rock bottom. (laughs) Um, The reality though was that dependency had crept in and crept in and I'd questioned myself for most of that year going, I wonder if I can go to this event and not drink. And then I get home and go, nope, that didn't happen. <laughs> or I'd wake up the next morning and be like, hmm, how did I get home? Huh. And those moments started to scare me a little bit where I was like, this isn't cool anymore. Like this isn't, I'm not having a great time with this behavior, but I'm so stuck. And then um, on the 5th of September, a, a dear friend of mine Mark Byrne, who was my manager at the time, um, he suddenly died of a heart attack. And when I found out that news, Jules, everything changed. Like it was just such a turning point and such a catalyst for me to go, oh, dear, I, I don't want to live the way I'm living. One of my closest friends has no days left. How old was he, Maz? 45. Yeah, right. He was so young. And he was so brilliant. Like he was such a creative gold mine. And he he had been on the journey with me my whole radio journey. So when he passed away, so we seven years earlier had said, we'd sat down and done the brainstorm and gone, okay, Sydney breakfast, that's the goal. Let's do this radio thing. And he'd held my hand through the whole radio journey. And um, he died on the 5th of September and the following week I got offered the Sydney breakfast show. And it was so bittersweet. I was like, man, (laughs) like I just lost him and now I can't share the news with him. Like this is terrible. And what the first thing I did is I went and I had a drink and I went, I don't want to deal with my friend's death this way. I don't want to grieve this way. I don't want to, I don't want to do what I'm doing. And so from there, so that really was the turning point. And from there I went and saw a therapist to deal with the grief and I spoke about 
the alcohol dependency and we came up with a really good strategy and I decided to stop drinking for a month at the beginning of 2015. So I had to move to Sydney. Um, I started, I was starting a brand new job, the Sydney Breakfast Show, which is like as far as at the time, as far as radio goes, it was, you know, the The best kind of, it really was. Um, So moving to Sydney, starting the new breakfast show and I decided to quit drinking for the month of January just to get my head straight to grieve my friend and to start that year on the front foot. And that was three and a half years ago and I haven't had a drink since. Wow. Yeah. Did you, um, so there wasn't any stop start? There wasn't, you know, off again, on again? It was just No, because quitting drinking was actually really easy for me. And the reason why is because I don't think I was addicted to it. I think I had developed a dependency and I've retrained my brain so that I don't think about alcohol as my solution and my fix anymore or my anchor. And so in that first 31 days that I stopped drinking, I just started to feel amazing. I'm like, my, I felt like I got a brand new brain. Within about 14 days, I was like, holy moly, where has all this creativity come from? Um, there was some emotional stuff that came up, but I was like, gee, that's interesting. I don't think I've cried since Mark died before that I hadn't cried for a very very long time because I was probably suppressing emotion so I was feeling my feelings again I lost a bit of weight people started telling me that I looked amazing I was like this is great I'm gonna keep doing this (laughs) and the hardest thing about quitting drinking for me was everyone else and everyone's judgment and opinion and bullying about a choice that I was making for myself and that was the hard part everything else was easy Tell me some of the things that people said to you. Oh, my goodness. Um, You're boring. Oh. Yeah, which was funny because I'm like, but we are literally at the same party. (laughs) So how am I boring right now? I am in the same space as you, having the same conversation. You're half cut because you've had 10 beers and I'm stone cold sober, but how does that make me boring? Um, You're no fun anymore. That's really disappointing. Um, what are we going to do to hang out then? So we can't hang out anymore. Um, oh, Oh I got asked if I was pregnant a lot actually. Oh yeah. That, yeah. Which is, which is kind of fair. I'm like, you know, most, I mean, it's annoying for women, but I mean, I think I've thought it too. If someone's not drinking, I'm like, ooh, are you pregnant? You know, it's at first. So it's like, no, 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 I'm just trying to make healthy choices for my own body. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. actually going to prioritise my own yeah. health. Yeah, it's funny. It, like it's, it's perfectly acceptable to do it for a baby, but not so much for They're yourself. Not, well, I talk about that in the book, Jules. Um, there's this one little bit that I write called the pregnancy diet where I'm like, why don't we just, if we treated us as women, if we treat, or guys could do it too, I guess, but if we treated ourselves like we were growing a human inside of us. How different does that look? How different does that look when you start caring and nurturing for yourself as you would your unborn child? That's actually what we should do for us. That's how much self-love and care there should be and self-awareness. And um, I don't know, that is just something to, for anyone listening to have a think about, that that's, you should prioritise your own health and your, your own safety above anything else because no one else is going to do it. It's your responsibility to look after you. Oh, my God. That's such a light bulb moment, seriously, because it's like yeah. you need, yeah, you, 
I mean, we're constantly regenerating cells and turning over cells and, you know, our organs in the body are growing new cells. So we're essentially still growing a human, but that human is us. Is us. Yeah. So, and so don't, why don't we do We don't that? treat that human with the level of care that's needed, I think, most of the time. And another thing that I think I learned um, during those initial few months where I was learning so much about myself and is unpacking things, um, my level of self-awareness grew quite quickly and I realised that, you know, when um, you've, you travel a lot and you get on a plane and they do the safety demonstration and they say you've got to attach, like you've got to fix your oxygen mask first yep. before you can attend to others. I'm yep. like, that should be a life rule. <laughs> and I had not been doing that. I had been pushing oxygen masks on any mouth that was near me <laughs> for decades and yep. I had suffocated myself. And so when I finally put that oxygen mask on me and, and it's not, there's a difference between being self-obsessed and self-aware. I was not becoming self-obsessed. I was just becoming aware of how little I loved myself and how little time I'd spent getting to know who I was and what I even liked because I had had everyone else tell me for 12 years who I was, what I was doing, what my job was, where I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to like because even in, in media, you can't like certain things, even if you do because it, it clashes with the brand that's sponsoring the show. You know, that, so I was told what I liked and what I didn't. So I had no sense of self by this stage in you know early 2015 and so that journey for me has been fascinating to watch like to just kind of blossom into my own being who is really connected and grounded and really self-aware it's actually a, a beautiful journey yeah and and now you've done this complete career shift where you own a gym you own two gyms is that right I own two gyms. That's I still find that really funny. <laughs> Imagine if twenty-four-year-old Maz could have seen that one coming. <laughs> well, I've always. Do you know what? I've always gone to the gym. So even though you know I used to go out a lot, I would. I did the balance thing. You know where I'm like, you know, for every champagne I had, I'd run a kilometer the next day. So I ran ten kilometers most days. <laughs> um, but I've always been into my fitness even though, you know, I, I had this really um, full social calendar. I always made room for fitness. So it's not too much of a stretch because when I stopped drinking in 2015, I started, I found out about this gym called F45 and I started going and I just got obsessed with it. And I think in a way it was just the ultimate hand to help or helping hand because I, I was able to say, sorry, I, I don't want to, like I could come to the pub and not drink and that's fine. I was okay to do that. But I, it was better sometimes for me to just not put myself in the environment and go, I've got training tonight or I've got to get up early and go to training tomorrow. And it became, you know, like a really great way to manage other people's expectations. And so I just got obsessed with F45 in 2015 so much so that I, I, I've found out that you can buy them because they're a franchise and I did that because why not like why wouldn't you you know I, I, I'm one of those people where I just decided to it's like we bought a zoo but it was a gym yeah sometimes it is a zoo depending on how you put it 
<laughs> it's a healthy zoo. <laughs> Very healthy zoo. <laughs> and so is, do you think it is important to find a tribe around you that's going to be supportive? Because I'm pretty sure no one at F45 would say you're no fun anymore if you refuse to drink. Yeah, well, everyone just knows that about me now, so it doesn't actually come up that much. But um, I definitely think the, the most confronting part about not drinking initially for me was the realisation that some of my friends were just not great friends to me and I had to sever some of those relationships and that was really hard um, and really confronting. And it's not like I, you know, unfollowed them on Facebook and then blocked their number and I was a real bitch about it. I just slowly, I did, you know what I did? I just stopped going to the pub with them and then the relationship dissolved. You know, it, mm. I didn't have to make, I didn't have to write them a letter and tell them, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to confront anyone. It just, it, they just ran their own course because I wasn't doing the behavior anymore. So that was tricky. And that's where I think the F45 community for me was great because I found, you know, this group of people who I was hanging out with instead of being at the pub and eat, you know, that it wasn't this replacement. I feel like it was this evolution of relationship. Um, and then I'm super lucky that I have the most amazing husband on planet earth. And he was my boyfriend at the time. So we met mid 2014. So peak madness. (laughs) And, um, and I, when I decided to stop drinking, so just after Mark had died, um, uh, so the first, you can imagine, the first sort of four months of our relationship, three months of our relationship was just pure bliss. He was living in Sydney. I was in Melbourne. So long distance lovers. It was the greatest love story of all. And then I know, but then like one of my best friends died and I was just a complete wreck. And then I had to have a conversation with him and go, huh, huh. So I think I have an alcohol dependency and I'm going to stop drinking. Do you still want to, like, date me? (laughs) (laughs) Here's here's all my shit and I'm just going to unpack it in front of you. What do you reckon? You know, to be fair, like, he was so good about it. He was amazing about it. Um, But it was really ballsy of me to share that with him and I'm so glad I shared it with him because I – it felt to me so early on in that relationship that he was my person and he's the only person that I needed to share it with because that's, you know, that's the person I'm doing my whole entire life with. And, and so him and I meeting the year that we met was, is just so pivotal in the story. So I had this great guy who I didn't know all that well because we'd only been dating for a few months. <laughs> but he seems really great. But I'm like, you seem legit. Um, you seem like you want to hang out with me, even if I'm, you know, not shouting bottles of champagne at the bar and doing shots. Um, he was just such an incredible support. And so I, he became my new tribe as well. You know, like I really sort of moved from this like, half one foot in the pool of entertainment sort of trying to still do the single life thing or appear to not be in a long-term relationship and I came full circle really quickly and went I'm locking this in this guy's great he's cool with me to quit drinking so let's see how that goes I don't know that I think you only do that for the the one person that you think matters 
you know, it's, it was, it felt like such a big call at the time. Yeah. I wonder if there are people listening to this who are like, that's great, but my partner wouldn't be so supportive or I, or, you know, your friends dropped away naturally who, you know, who, who couldn't fit into your new non-drinking lifestyle. But what if they're family members that are encouraging a person to drink and go to the pub? Really hard. A girlfriend of mine, um, she read the book earlier this year and she had a real tough time with her family. Um, because she did 31 days of not drinking and she'd go over to her mum's and her mum would be like, let's have a wine, let's go for wine, let's drink a wine. And she didn't realise that her relationship with her mum and her dad is really solidly founded on drinking wine together. And she just had to be honest and go, hey, I'm not drinking right now. And I'm not asking for your opinion on that, I'm asking for your support. And that's my advice is that it is possible to function in relationship, friendship, or you know, or marriage potentially, but I think what what it essentially does when you decide to this is why the book's called the social rebellion. When you decide to do something different, and someone else has a problem with it, it is just you holding up a mirror and then responding to their own reflection on what's going on for them and how uncomfortable they might be about making the same choice as you. So if anything, it should be the, a great starting point to talk about that with that person eventually when they're ready to have the conversation because it is complete insanity for someone else to have an issue with something that you're doing to benefit your life, physiology and mental health. I find that insane. And yeah. so I've had to... I've had to figure that out myself and that's the, I guess, the explanation that I've landed on is that you are holding up a mirror because you're ruffling feathers, you're doing something different, you're, you're doing the rebellious act, which is to say, no, I'm not comfortable making that choice. I'm going to make a different choice. You don't have to make this choice, but I'm going to make this choice and I don't have an issue with you doing your thing, but if you have an issue with me doing my thing, it's your issue. So you can go and sort that out yourself. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And maybe find some new activities to do together. Like you might just need to break that, that habit of I go over, the wine comes out. All right, well, how about we go over and we go for a nice walk around the block or a drive to the beach? You need a new ritual. You need a new ritual and a new little foundation for your cute little friendship. And I found that, um, I found that with my mum. So my mum, funniest human ever, is we're so, so, so close. And so the two people that I told that I was stopping drinking and that, you know, I had this thing and I was going to sort it out was my mum and then my at-the-time boyfriend who's now my husband. And mum was, I was so terrified about telling my mum because I thought she'd be really disappointed in me. And I know because, like, I think, secretly like all I've really ever done is just try to gain my parents approval (laughs) Um, isn't that everyone ever I think think it is um and I was so worried that she was going to be like you know well duh you're an idiot or whatever not that my mum would call me an idiot but like that you know that face Mm -hmm. like that I'm not angry I'm disappointed you know that one yeah I was so 
terrified of getting that response. But I, I knew that I wanted to be really honest with mum. And I told her and she was so cool about it. And she was like, well, when you come over, like, let's not drink wine. And she said, she's like, let's just go for a walk together. I'm like, oh, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> and so we redefined because we used to like, um, we used to swim. She um, lives in this little granny flat and the neighbours have a pool that we're allowed to use, um, neighbours with benefits. And <laughs> so we would go over and we'd go swim in the pool and have glass of wine you know some evenings midweek like that was our hang time um or we'd go up to the blue mountains for a weekend together and you know we'd have a glass of red and play scrabble or whatever and it was it wasn't ingrained in our relationship but it was definitely like a part of our connection and so we've redefined that and now we have cups of tea and we we go on like um we do all these crazy long walks together. That's our thing is walking in nature together now. And it's cool. And it wasn't really difficult. to. It wasn't difficult. And I think as well you just make better choices. Like for the first month um, that I stopped drinking, I, I definitely walked a lot and I found walking is my peacekeeper, like my mental health peacekeeper. And so I just wouldn't walk past the bottle shop, you know, like I just would yeah, avoid yeah. places that would be tempting to go, huh, I feel really good today. Maybe I'll, maybe I will just get a bottle of Cloudy Bay and, you know, sit in my backyard while the sun sets. Like, no, don't walk past the pub. Don't go past the bottle shop. Go to a place that is your sanctuary, that is away from cars and walls and people and sounds other than nature and you'll find you get that same taking the edge off moment that that wine probably used to give you the that's new what anchor. I found. the new yeah. anchor yeah that's what I found the new anchor yeah yeah I, I do I, I I think that avoiding the bottle shop and that temptation like well I'm healed I'm really good at not drinking now so I can go back to having a little bit like that's yeah, that's a really dangerous place as well. Well, it's dangerous and it's unnecessary, I, I think, you know, because there is nothing that alcohol can give me. So why even have a sip of it? That's kind of how I feel about it now. But again, I, I do recognise that I'm quite far along this journey and there are people that will be listening to this Jules and I know this because this was my thought the thought of going a week without alcohol seems impossible and that's not because you're quote unquote an alcoholic necessarily it might be that would be one reason but the other reason is um my friend's pregnant it's her baby shower um my friend's getting married I've had a bad day. I've had a great day. Um, you know what I mean? Like I'm getting married. Like it, 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 there's too many reasons to give yourself the excuse to drink right now to even probably go a week or two or a month without it. I have the same thing challenge. when yeah. I'm getting people off gluten or dairy or sugar, which is quite frequently in my job. Uh, yeah, right. and, <laughs> and like so often there's that bargaining stage of grief that people go through and I call them out. I'm like, you're going through a stage of grief. It's called bargaining. Like, and the bargaining is I'll give it up, but after my friend's wedding, I'll give it up, but after Christmas, I'll give it up, but it's school holidays. It's too hard. I've got to cook for the kids. Rah, rah, rah. I'll give it up, but 
But, and there's always, like you just said, there's always an event, whether it's a baby shower or you've had a bad day or blah, blah, blah. And in the end, like I have to sit people down and go, there's never going to be a good time to do this. There's never a good time ever, ever. You just have to do what Nike does. You just do it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Ah, Maz Compton, wealth (laughs) of wisdom and information and inspiration legend. Uh, you've got a book out, obviously. Thanks, Jules. That's really lovely. <laughs> I do. I, I managed to. I say the book took me three years to write. So the first year was I decided to stop drinking and so I went on a non-drinking journey. The second year was 12 months of self-doubt thinking, no one's going to read it. This is a dumb idea. Shut <laughs> up. And then it took me actually four months to write it. <laughs> <laughs> and so and and now the social rebellion exists and i i'm so proud of it and i know it's already connected with a lot of people i'm getting feedback you know every other day from someone saying i've just finished your book it's changed my relationship with alcohol i feel empowered thank you um i'm i'm going to try a month off today is day 1 or it's just and that's the whole point like the power of shared story is really phenomenal and I, I don't um, discredit the dark days because without the dark days, I couldn't share the light. So for me, this is at least all of that turmoil that I went through, um, I've managed to kind of package up into something that's going to help somebody else in theirs and that, I think that's the ultimate gift really. And I love that it's called the social rebellion because it's like, yeah, this is an edgy cool thing to do it's not a boring teetotaling thing to do this is it's like a movement now and i do i think there's more and more women who are getting drawn towards this sort of movement it is a rebellious act like it's the you know rebellion is doing the thing that no one else is doing and so when everyone at the pub is drinking guess who the rebel is the person sitting in the corner with a soda water and their pants on it's me (laughs) (laughs) trailblazer you pants on (laughs) Look at you. Pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Love it. Now, you're obviously on social media as well, so can you just let everyone know how they can connect with you? Yes. So my um, personal Instagram is at Maz Compton or you can follow The Social Rebellion on Instagram as well. That's at The Social Rebellion. And then everything on the website, you can buy books, you can enroll in the e-course, which we've just launched this week. Awesome. Um, I love an e-course. I love, I love an e-course. <laughs> I, I loved writing it, but that's all at the socialrebellion.com. So go and have a look. There's a blog there as well um, that we put an article up every couple of days about just living life alcohol free. So just tips on how to get through it, tools and techniques, and, um, and it's entertaining because I write all of the articles. Excellent. Well, I reckon you're going to have a few people all sitting in the corner with you with their pants on. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing this out into the world and for being so ballsy and and really putting yourself out there in this way. Um, It's huge. And yeah, I, I know it's really important. So thank you so much. Jules, thank you. I really appreciate your support. Um, I'm obviously, I'm so passionate about this message. And if one person listening would redefine their relationship with alcohol after this, then that, you know, that's a huge credit to you as well. So I appreciate it. Yay. Teamwork. 
seriously, how awesome was Maz Compton? I hope you liked that no holds barred interview and whether you're looking to just cut out on drinking or whether your vice is something else entirely like gluten or sugar, I hope you got lots of inspiration from this episode. I also want to tell you about something new that I've created. It's an adrenal health check quiz and it's a great starting point if you're worried that you may be heading towards burnout. I take you through some quick questions and at the the end you get a little assessment of your risk for adrenal fatigue. You'll find it now at julesgalloway.com. It only takes a few short minutes to do so head over there now and get amongst it. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another awesome health and wellness chat so hit subscribe and I'll see you real soon. In the meantime take care of yourself, stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.